Sometimes when we're looking for fresh ideas in business, it can help to look completely beyond our immediate space and our immediate industry to see what we can learn from others operating in a completely different sector to us. And that's why I really wanted to interview my, I suppose, business buddy, Rhiannon Curtis from Ronald McDonald House Charities. So Rhiannon and I have worked together for now six years on marketing her event around International Women's Day, which is a fantastic luncheon she's been putting on for, like I said, six years that raises funds um, for the Ronald McDonald House charities uh, based in our area. And the way that these events are run and managed, they're just fantastic. And for many years, I've been wanting to pick Rhiannon's brain about how she successfully used events to be a point of difference in a very crowded charity space. And there really is a lot to be learned from our chat in this episode. She talks about planning, how to really tailor an event to your market, working smarter, not harder to get the event off the ground, how to collaborate with people um, who could also benefit from the event and also help make it even better whilst also lightening the load for you. But the big thing I want you to take away from this episode is how you can create in-person experiences to differentiate from all the online options right now, especially if that's something that your business feels like you're constantly struggling with. So if you're ready to learn from a seasoned expert in running brilliant events that leave really long-lasting memories, you couldn't be in a better place for this one, guys. Let's jump in. You're listening to Taking Back Joy, a more than marketing podcast. This is where we dive into how to market your regional and rural small business sustainably without being stuck to your screen. I'm your host, Meredith Page, and I was born and raised in a small town full of fantastic small businesses, and now I'm doing the same with my own family. I'm a marketing coach, a mum and a wife, and I want to share with you everything I've learned and I'm still learning about juggling a family, business growth, mental well-being and healthy boundaries. Here we market smarter, not harder, so we can take the busyness out of our businesses. If you're running a small business, raising small humans, and trying to make a big difference in a small town, you're in the right place. This is Taking Back Joy. Yes, so I am Rhiannon Curtis. I was formerly the Family Retreat Coordinator in Foster, as well as Mid-North Coast Community Engagement Coordinator, um, and about 17 Ish months ago, I relocated to Tamworth to manage uh, the Ronald McDonald House at the hospital and do community engagement within the New England Northwest region. I suppose for anyone who, it's one of those organisations where if you haven't heard of them, it's probably a good thing, um, unfortunately. Can you just give us a brief overview of what Ronald McDonald House Charities actually does? Yeah, so we provide support to families uh, with a child who might be seriously ill or suffered an accident um, or some sort of ongoing um, medical condition Uh, and we do that through various programs Um, the main one being our houses which are located um, at major children's hospitals and some um, larger regional hospitals around the country Uh, inside some of those major children's hospitals we have family rooms where families can go and spend some time outside of the ward environment together Uh, We have our family retreat over at Foster, which provides those same families with a holiday for free um, for up to a week every year. And then we've also got our learning program, which offers one-on-one tutoring to kids who have had to miss periods at school due to illness. Yeah. I mean, like it's, yeah, really kind of incredible work that you do, but it's, if you haven't had to use a Ronald McDonald house, that's probably the better option, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, exactly. So I remember when we first met, because you and I have been working together on the International Women's Day luncheons for six years now. I really can't yeah. believe it's been six years, man. Like that's no crazy. I was looking at the Time lineup. Flies. Right? I like when I'm like six, I'm like, no, that can't be right. And I was looking at all the beautiful plaques that you give the sponsors, and I'm like, oh wow, no, it is six years. I have I have yeah, a few of those now. <laughs> there's one there for every year. Yeah, it's um, pretty incredible from one small idea what can come of it. Well, that's what we're definitely here talking about is your capacity for brilliant ideas that make um, marketing essentially. And um, I suppose this is the charity version of your yeah, marketing and not customer acquisition, but trying to raise revenue. And yeah. um, something that I've something that I've always really enjoyed working with you, and I mentioned this to the ladies I was speaking to at the most recent luncheon, is that I really do feel like whenever I work with you, it doesn't feel like I'm working with a charity or organisation. It very much feels like a like I don't want to say proper, but proper business to business arrangement. You know, like yeah, it feels very professional. It feels like I'm dealing with a very professional organisation. The way that you send me information and brief me in is always on par with my business clients. And um, and like I've done a lot of work for you know smaller organisations and community groups and charities and things like that. And um, yeah, the way that you guys interface with businesses is really really top notch. Um, so hats off to you guys for doing that. It, it, it always feels like it doesn't feel like as much as I suppose it's a business donating time. And this is something that you mentioned when we were talking about the lead up to this podcast is making sure that those who donate their time do feel valued and appreciated and like yeah. the, the relationship's been adequately reciprocated, I guess. Like I never really feel like I'm out of pocket at all with these International Women's Day lunches because I get to go to the event, the event's amazing, I get to have this amazing day and I'm like, this is totally worth me doing the design for. Look, look how much oh, I get out of it, you know. That's really good to hear. Thank you. So I think that's why, and there's so many conversations you and I have had over the years where I'm like, this, oh, this is, I really wish more businesses could think along these lines because there's so many things you've done really well that would be just as applicable to like the small business space and that would be just as a, a creative way of thinking outside the box, especially when you're in a crowded market. So yeah. Um, before we jump into that, you actually were able to achieve some pretty good numbers for the house at the foster retreat. Do you happen to remember yeah. what you're able to increase there? What I don't know what I don't know what the terminology is used for when people come and stay, but you're able to do yeah. some pretty impressive stuff there. Yeah. So when um I started in the role, so weren't able to get the occupancy up over about that 30%. So for three quarters of the year essentially it was sitting empty and unused so they decided to bring us on to solely manage the family retreat which meant all operations bookings um everything that comes with operations for anything all the fun stuff whs legislation Uh, ah yes paperwork (laughs) yeah all of those fun bits and pieces which i mean as a paid employee sometimes it feels like a lot so for people to be doing it in a voluntary capacity on top of their own commitments and responsibilities was a really amazing thing but it did get to the point where that it was lacking the use that it really deserved the biggest focus for me in that first 12 months initially was increasing the awareness and the occupancy and reaching those families who might not have heard about it Um, a lot of those families put time away together as a priority because they had so much else going on and they were spending so much time back and forth to hospitals and specialist appointments. Yeah, you're just sort of trying to get through the next week, I think, when you're in that phase. You're not thinking, oh, we should do a holiday in summer. Like you're just trying to function until Sunday. And financially, there's just no way they could even 
afford even a cheap holiday somewhere. So once we got the word out and got those families coming and experiencing that time together away from all of those pressures and reminders back at home, we started to see some repeat families coming back because the value. I could feel what it had done to the family. Yeah. Yeah. Just that little reset was enough to sort of give them that breath to be able to go back and and hit the next milestone. So a lot of that was liaising with uh, referral services in outerlying regional areas, hospitals, meeting nursing unit managers to the point of almost being obnoxious, making sure they didn't forget (laughs) Rihanna and all the family retreat. But that saw us lift our occupancy pre-pandemic up in towards the 80%. As again, with a lot of, I'm sure a lot of business owners see, there would have been that friction point of the mindset of the people you're trying to get in there as well. Like I imagine a lot of people, as much as they're suffering, they don't want to ask for help. They don't want to take handouts. They don't want to feel like a burden on anyone. They're always probably thinking, oh, there's, there's somebody who's got it worse than me. Worse off than us. Yeah. I'm sure there's <laughs> someone else who deserves it more than me. No, don't give it to me. Yes. So how did you how did you go around mitigating that mindset? It was a little bit of shifting perceptions, sort of communicating that we don't have a severity scale. We don't look at two different families and decide who's got it worse. Mm-hmm. Because regardless of how sick your child is, whether it's with something that can be treated at home with something over the counter or their months in hospital receiving treatment, you know, day after day, if that's the sickest your child's ever been, that's the worst situation you've ever been. So everybody is deserving and just being out of that environment at home where there's those triggers and reminders or being back down at the hospital or visiting specialists, what it did was incredible for these families. And then the next step was getting some of those families to allow us to share their stories. So Mm. rather than me you know, standing up there until I'm blue in the face, telling everybody how amazing it is, hearing Mm -hmm. it from firsthand experience to somebody who's in a similar situation. Doing that. And I suppose it would have been in that respect, it would have been 10 times harder for you because what they're going through is not just like, oh, I bought a car and the sales service was, you know, the sales experience was great. It's like, no, no, they're going through something really traumatic. How did you find encouraging them to share their story? this story I'm guessing some were probably a little bit hesitant about it it's not for everyone when I say share their stories there's many ways in which we do that we would do it in respect to people's comfortability around that whether it you know just be through a newsletter format or on socials some people were happy to come and speak in person at events but that's something that you know we would put the indication of that in their welcome pack with Mm -hmm. a bit of a questionnaire along with um, our experience survey. And then, you know, across the course of the week, as you get to spend a little bit of time with the families and get to know them, you soon pick up who's going to be comfortable with broaching that subject. And sometimes it might have been something as simple as one of the kids left us a drawing on the path with the chalk we gave them for when they checked in. It might be as simple as, are we okay to share that photo because it says way more than, you know, three paragraphs about an experience can. Sharing stories is, it's not as black and white as it sounds. You, you sort of look for any way that that can come across. And that might be in the form of just some photos or a drawing or might be a written essay from one of the parents. Um, but just looking how to diversify that activity as well really helped us in our capacity to share those stories. That's a really interesting takeaway that I think any business owner is, yeah, giving your customers 
a range of opportunities that they might be comfortable with sharing. So you are gathering that feedback, but there's op- there's different ways depending on, like you said, that level of comfortability where people might be so blown away and they might be quite a wordsmith. They'll be happy to give you two paragraphs that you can pull apart and use elsewhere. But for those that aren't, yeah. it could just be like, yeah, share a photo of your experience. I think we're in this weird transition where we've got so many different generations at the moment. We've got all of our parents who mightn't be as tech savvy because, you know, I was only talking about it the other day. When I finished year 12, we were still handwriting all of our assignments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then you've got the millennials who have transitioned through that by giving more options, I guess, and flexibility around how you're receiving feedback or telling a story gives you the better chance to be able to do that as well. No, that's a really, really good point. And then you've also got like, as far as that cross-section goes, you've got some people who will share everything and anything and you've got other people yep. who are hypersensitive to like privacy information and take a bit more, have a lot more scrutiny as to what they share of their personal details online. So yeah, yeah I think yeah. it helps that cross-section of people you're talking to have those range of options there. We've, we've had this conversation in the past and like, yeah. side note, if you don't want to talk about this particular section, that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. Where we've talked about the comp- competitive landscape for charities and how you have, a f- you have a few reservations about some of the alternate forms of donations and support that are out there right now because, like, for example, the GoFundMes, as much as that's specific to charities, yeah. I think a lot of businesses can relate to these pop-up competitors that seems better get to the customers slicker and quicker, but with no kind of um, filter in terms of the quality of the delivery and the, mm. the, the assurances around the delivery. Can you talk a little bit around that and yeah. how that's a challenge for you? I mean, in the not-for-profit space, it is very competitive. It's very crowded. There's a lot of us out there asking people for their hard-earned dollars. Um, and then with the introduction of some of these crowdfunding platforms, it has become a much more competitive space because, you know, you can log in and there's somebody you know in there asking for money for a really valid reason, but you have those few here and there cowboys that <laughs> because there's no there's no levels of checking and balancing. So there are a few of those that take advantage and, and can taint the whole space, unfortunately. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter if it's on a Uh, fundraising platform or if it's another charitable organization it doesn't just paint that one individual organization a certain way it taints us all yeah um but and I think cowboys is probably a really good term because I've used that too where it's like someone who comes in and wants to do it quicker faster cheaper slicker and they, they eventually then come to you to pick up the pieces yes and unfortunately the support of a cause isn't enough for the general consumer anymore. Everyone mm. wants some value for their for their dollar because, you know, and now is the perfect time to be talking about it because the cost of living is skyrocketing and it's harder to come by and hang on to those dollars. So mm-hmm. you've really got to be able to provide a quality value for money experience and that might be in regards to any form of, of donation in our, in our respect, it has to, we, we talk about it in the term of supporter journey and that happens from the very first contact and doesn't end because they've given you whatever it is and you've given their acknowledgement and receipt. 
it's the whole experience of how they interact, whether it be digitally, in person, over the phone, and then what happens thereafter. Mm. And what makes it tricky and unfortunate for a lot of the smaller charities, they're not big enough to have those systems built up yet or in place. Um, and there's definitely none of that through some of those individual fundraising platforms either. Mm. So that's why the focus for, for me as a fundraiser is on that reciprocal support and perception of value and received value. It's almost like um, it's almost like you guys have the capacity to almost offer like proof of purchase. It's like look where your look where your highly valued charitable dollars went. We're able to construct this new house. Or is and tying back into that yeah. stories of the user too. It's like oh, through your donations, we're able to create this family experience. We're able to do this, and not only yes. is that good for like marketing to new people who can use the service, it is also really good evidence to those who've donated to constantly see this drip feeding story, story evidence, evidence it's like here's your dollars at work you know yeah yeah and it needs to be it needs to be in those terms whether it's around you know x amount of families got to stay near their child in hospital with that amount of money because you know the other stuff that it takes to operate some of these programs isn't as isn't as pretty or isn't as fluffy, you know, it's electricity bills and <laughs> cleaners, and, you know, <laughs> pest control, and th- you know, things that, you know, don't light anybody's soul on fire. Um, yeah. They're not the warm but, fuzzy things that we relate to. They're highly important. And like, yes, I'm sure like there's a yes. lot of gratitude towards the companies that work with you on that, but yeah, they're not the, the warm fuzzy sort of stories that your people will connect with. Yeah. And so the other thing we do well, I think is make it tangible so we might take some of those, you know, unpretty things and turn it into, you know, this house here has five bedrooms. So if you think about your four-bedroom house that's got four or five times the amount of people living in it than you do in your house and what that takes, you know, the amount of water you use, the amount mm. of times you've got to do the washing up, um, that's when you know, if you get that far into the conversation, that's when people can really start to understand why we're out fundraising and asking them for their money or why they're supporting the particular mm-hmm. event or cause that they're part they're a part of. Yeah, again, it's making it bringing it back to something they can relate to. Like you said, the running costs of their own home. Now imagine yeah. imagine if you had your family staying every week as well as you guys living there, you know, and you complain yeah. now about the toys and the cleaning up and the wear and like it was, yeah, just general wear and tear on a house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that brings me to what you personally and you guys as an organization do really well. And that's this idea of events. So um, before, before you worked at um, RMHC, did you have a background in events? No, I, prior to starting with the charity, I'd been living overseas um, and not doing anything specific. And then prior to that was in the banking industry um and from there I came from McDonald's restaurants uh-huh so they kept, yeah. they got you back in the end <laughs> yeah yeah almost yeah it's a um it's almost a funny full circle 
So, because like you, I feel like um, I don't know if this is the like something you've developed and made particularly strong in the charity, or if the charity's always had a focus on event-based, for lack of a better term, marketing. But I feel like it is something yeah. that you guys do an exceptionally good job of, and it is a really good point of differentiation from the online charity space. You know, it's like yeah. this is what you can do that they can't in-person stuff. So, can you how did yep. how did events sort of become a big I suppose, uh, part of your wheelhouse with RMHC? So I think traditionally um, charities do a lot of event-based fundraising. Mm. You know, you've got your traditional things like your golf days and your balls and race days. Um, So the thing with events is that they are a lot of fun they do raise a lot of money, but a lot of work goes into them. So that whole cliche of working smarter and not harder, you know, you really need to to look at what you're doing and how you're doing it to make it as quick and easy on your end as possible so you get the most value out of the funds that you raise. Mm. And so finding maybe a niche in your particular market, which in Tari, um, International Women's Day, for a couple of years before we started, hadn't had any major events after a few had, um, for whatever reason, stopped occurring. Um, I had been myself to a similar event event where we sort of grew the idea from. Um, there were a few things we really liked that they did and there were some other things that we thought maybe needed to be done differently. And so we took that and developed a plan uh, with Club Tari, they there are our partners for that event and have put as much into it as we have um, and tailored it to suit the market. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ensuring that you've got everyone walking out the door by, if not before 2.30, so there's no stress about getting kids from school and so the afternoon doesn't fall apart, making sure that it's priced accordingly and that there's plenty of value there for the, the people that are coming. Um, and not being afraid to make the changes. You know, from where we began with International Women's Day, we didn't really have a plan for the speakers. We were just trying to find whoever was, you know, the shiniest name on a flyer (laughs) that would attract attention. Yeah. And I think it was the second year, for whatever reason, it might have been weather-related, we had some speakers that were just not going to be able to make it, so we had to look a little bit closer to home. And Actually, from there, sorry to interrupt that event, you, was that the first batch of floods maybe that we had in Tari where I think some people so. got cut off? It's hard to I know what so. that catastrophe we're up to, but I almost I feel know. like that year was a flood year where yes. major arterial roads got shut off. Yeah, so we had been speaking to people from outside the area and then we decided, look, let's keep them local so we've got lower risk of them not being able to attend. And from there, it just grew into this amazing platform to showcase all the incredible things happening from our local part of New South Wales and showcasing that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter your experience or your life stage or what you thought you were going to be doing, you can really achieve almost anything. And it was happening from that part of Australia by people that we all pass in the street. So, yeah, I say that all the time about this area. You just, it's one of those funny little towns that you just never quite know who's squirreled away up here doing some really amazing things. Exactly. And so now that event has a reputation of, 
being a real celebration of talent and success, you know, created locally by by local um, women. Yeah, it has really become like a fixture. Like, I mean, I don't know if that's just me because I look forward to being a part of it every every year, but you, it does become like, mm. oh, so you're going to the Women's Day event. Oh, you're the one at Club Atari. Yeah, like it's becoming it's becoming that, that level of yeah. common knowledge where you say Women's Day luncheon, people automatically assume, oh, the, the Club Atari one, is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so I feel like, um, I feel like, creating for businesses I feel like creating experiences to compete with that online space as much as there's a lot of work involved Mm. I feel like that really is the good way to have this point of difference especially if you are like in a market where the online space and the price beat kind of mentality is um is is really kind of is really forcing you to kind of either beat it or join it um so if if businesses and this this is where I'd love to sort of get your like hit list of like recommendations and here's where to start. If businesses wanted to start bringing these events and experiences into their businesses as a point of difference in their market, um, I'd love to know yeah. like your kind of like top, I don't know, however many, I made a few points where you were talking then because you covered off some really good things to think about what, how you would approach setting up an event. I mean, um, just it doesn't have to be charitable it can be just be for the sake of bringing more customers into your business by mm, creating sure. an experience so I think the first one yeah. you pointed out which was really good is a good reason for them as much as you like you mentioned focusing it around International Women's Day because that wasn't really really being done to consistent success in our area yeah so, um I think I think coming back to that term that experience space people like to be doing stuff so whatever that might be in a business sense you know it might be a you know come and see or a come and try or behind the scenes come and see how this works yeah yes um and connecting I think connecting consumers or donors to the core cause or um you know, in a business sense, into into the heart of of what you're doing and why you're doing it mm-hmm. gives people more buy in, and uh, so I think here you go. I was just sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just visually, That's I can nice. always see it's like a triangle where it's like you've kind of got the business on one side, the consumer on one side, and then this common kind of shared goal or ideal that you're both kind of connected yes. to. Where the business is kind of like a vehicle, but you, the, you, you, that's your point of connection with your consumer is you have this kind of higher ideal that you both believe in and your business just wants to be a vehicle connecting the consumer to that yeah. higher ideal. Yeah, and so it might be you get them to come in and experience your mission statement or your core values for your business. It doesn't even necessarily have to be around the product or the service as much as it is about connecting like-minded people um, in you know, further down the track next time they're thinking about when they need that product or service, you're going to be top of mind. Or when somebody's asking for recommendations, you're going to be top of mind because that person has faith in the delivery of whatever it is. And like Because you're both coming from that same, you know, that same focus and heart of, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, and they're going to, like, the memory of having actually experienced something with like-minded people is, like, a bajillion times more powerful than a boosted Facebook post. 
Like if you yes. want to kind of cut through the noise and rather than posting relentlessly, emailing relentlessly, paying for advertising, if you can get bums on seats and create a shared experience with like-minded people, like that's gold compared to all the other stuff yeah. that we throw energy at. Yeah, that's right. And I think that, you know, especially in business, it's so competitive. And I know from a personal perspective that I much prefer going somewhere that I know are supportive and kind to, you know, their competitors or other other businesses around them than somebody who's so cutthroat and it's all about their, you know, their bottom line mm. and it doesn't doesn't matter how they get their kind of thing, which I think you can tell when you go into a space, you can tell the sort of mindset that they've got and how they operate after you've spent some time in with them. Um, I and think so that's I think something that, they do particularly well in this area too because you do see them like stocking local products and things like that. Like there seems, I don't know, yes. if, this, I don't know if you've noticed this similarly in Tamworth because I haven't been to Tamworth, but I feel like in Foster, the Foster Tunkari Tari area, they're very, it's something they're very mindful of, of like, oh, we stock this because Great Lakes Wines is just down the road or Bago Wines is just up the road or we yes. stock these jams, these honeys. We can tell you we know the people that make them because they're locals. Like they're very keen to support yes. each other in that respect. And I think that's a almost, you know, like country town mindset because it is mm. the same over here. Tamworth's um, quite a bit bigger than Taree and Foster, but, it's the same thing. They're quite collaborative and a lot of the businesses that I've gotten to know over here and that I know back home are of the viewpoint that if you're doing well, that means we're all doing well. So, mm. you know. Which is really nice that, to um, operate with you. Yes, I think so. And I think people respond to that. So, you know, developing some of those partnerships with um others within your space I think is really great as well um well I was actually going to ask you about that because that's something else you seem to do really well especially with the women's day events that I've been in that you seem to pull together like um sponsors and event partners and things like that so everyone that's in like it sort of helps minimize the load I guess because you're bringing in experts to sort of showcase their expertise whilst also helping you out with like mm. the marketing the the table dressings like the um yeah with the goods and services for door prizes and things like that. And in return, yeah. they get a really nice amount of airtime. So I feel like that would be just as applicable in the small business space too, like looking for people you can collaborate with so you can leverage their platforms and lighten the load for the event. Exactly. Um, it's another cliche, but aces in their places, mm -hmm. you know, why there's no way I would want to half-ass something when I can bring somebody in who I know is an expert in whatever they do. And that might be, you know, Manning Valley Homewares have been one of the um, stylists for that event. There's no way I could have created, you mm -hmm. know, the beautiful work that they've done. So, yeah, I think it's a smart way to go. Um, you're also giving those um, individuals or businesses the platform and opportunity to meet other like-minded business owners, um, which I think, think you know is really important as well because I like to say when I've got them all on board everyone including yourself always goes above and beyond and is always looking for the next way that 
we can make it bigger and better and, you know, we need to support more sick kids so we need to do this. And I like to use the phrase that we're all fundraisers. <laughs> Fundraising isn't just about hanging onto a bucket and shaking it for people to put change in it. So, yeah, I think expanding that network of, of collaborators is, yeah, I think that's, it can only be beneficial. Yeah, if you bring the right, and like you said, it just means that more people get invested in the end result because like even in like a commercial sense, if you collaborate with half a dozen business owners where you kind of share a target market but you're not direct competitors, or you might even be direct competitors, you just might have niches that you specialise in. So there might be a bit of overlap, but you might specialise in one end, they might specialise in the other. But everyone does well out of that. And I think if you can be in the right frame of mind where yeah, like that whole country mentality. If you're doing well and you're doing well, surely we're all doing well. We don't have to, yeah. there's enough for us to go around if we're all pushing each other up. So I think definitely think that's that's a great way to go. And, yeah, again, lighten the load because we've all got businesses, families, stuff going on. So the more we can yeah. kind of um, divide and conquer, the better. Um, yeah, something else sure. that you made a really good point of was knowing your market. So, like, even just like little touches, like making sure that if you're going to have an International Women's Day event, don't make them miss school drop-off. Yeah. Like I think yeah. that's such a, an important thing, thinking about who is this event for, who do I want there, and what do they want or need in this event in order to make it as easy for them to say yes as possible. Yeah, and I think that I, I put something up on Instagram a couple of nights ago about making sure that connection is reciprocated because if there's value on both ends and it's benefiting everybody involved, there's going to be some longevity out of it. So all of that legwork you put in at the beginning, that becomes easier and easier until it's no longer work because you've created that relationship where both parties feel valued, feel heard, and they feel like there's benefit. It's about a long game. I don't like the one and done or the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am mentality. I'm very much about... um, building those relationships to get longevity out of them to, you know, eventually make my job easier. Well, I suppose case in point, the way that we bounce off each other now, like I remember the beginning we had to have a few sit-downs and we had to try and sort of figure it all out and go, okay, what can we use now? It's like, okay, what was the list? All right, here's the list. Um, oh, can we duplicate it for Tamworth this year? Okay, sure, I'll just change the like, – can you send me the dates? Yep, dates and times, location. And it just, like you said, after yep. six years, it's like email, email, email. Oh, here's some extra details, done. Yeah. Um, so, Easy. yeah, and, and, and it's a calendar fixture now too. Again, people look forward to it. So, yeah, all you can then do yep. is either recoup some of that effort as time goes on or channel it into making it bigger and better and more ideas for getting it um getting it out there. And I suppose yeah. with, with the market too, the pricing conversation then also ties into it, like really understanding what the people you're aiming this at will justifiably spend for that experience yeah yeah and I think that comes down to getting to know your market as well and so some of those you know in a retail sense some of those smaller events that they can do is not only about creating more business and making them feel valued as consumers but getting to know them as well the more you know about them the better Mm. you can target them and the more value they're going to see in their interactions with you because, you know, you're targeting exactly the need that they've come in with. 
Yeah, you, you, you start becoming more and more intuitive. So the more you know about them as mm. a collective, the more the one-on-one experiences can be more intuitive to the point where it's like, oh, wow, did wow, they really go above and beyond here, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose just having a really kind of, a, I suppose a database approach that is both qualitative and quantitative in terms of the yeah, yeah. information you store on your people. Um, yes, yeah. So when, uh, this is probably the last thing I'd, love to pick your brain about in terms of like the 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 to-do the big grand to-do list of setting up an event do you have like a go-to kind of like framework hit list was it something that someone gave you and said here's my master list for how to run an event what what kind of advice would you offer to people in that respect in terms of like wrangling all these ideas into actually yeah it's done yeah I think that um I think collaborating with people within the same space is really important not all of their ideas are going to suit your event or going to suit the way you operate but I think just fine-tuning that formula for whatever it is Uh, so you know for example with a golf day we've now pretty much got the same format down for the four the three or four golf days we have across our chapter and it's about working smarter and not harder and not reinventing the wheel for the sake of it on the reverse of that as well I think making sure that you're open to the fact that you'll make mistakes the first one out of the gate won't be a perfect runaway success it will need and it will take yeah it will take a good you know few years before you're even close to having a set formula but I think and you know in my first couple of years um, I learned the hard way about about taking things too personally it's not a reflection on you as an individual that idea just didn't work so you know don't be an idiot don't do that again let's see how we can improve it or change it and I think as well the biggest thing that I've probably been learning in the most recent couple of years is there's a very big difference between a problem and a me problem so yeah I think like an actual problem so, versus like up in my head yes. oh how did I get that You've wrong problem so caught up in the process and you're not seeing the bigger picture and so being able to decipher between a me problem and an actual problem has been one of the biggest the biggest things that has improved some of my um event performance um because we all do it we're all our own harshest critic and mm-hmm. and actually I think that's the other thing as well which you would know from working with me it's not until it's all said and done and over that I actually take some time and reflect and look at what we've created I don't enjoy the process as much as I possibly should um what's well, like planning a wedding I think you and I drew the parallel like it's it's almost like you kind of get to the end of your wedding day or it's like you've planned a party or something and you've been so busy lining everything up making sure everyone else is having an amazing yeah. day on the day that you sit down at like nine o'clock at night and go oh really it's over okay? yep. oh I, I, I almost missed, missed it, it even though I was there the whole yes. time yes yes and I think that comes down to having that I can't speak highly enough about having you know, an event plan and then a run sheet for the day. Mm-hmm. And that run sheet is your Bible. Any question someone has should be answered on that run sheet. So you shouldn't have, you know, 15 people coming and asking you 15 different things. Um, everyone should know 
where they're meant to be and what they're meant to be doing it, aces in their places. Mm-hmm. And that will allow you that little bit more space to be able to enjoy it and reflect back and hopefully, hopefully, nothing's perfect, of course. <laughs> but I suppose also bring people into the fold too. If you can sort of have like in 15-minute increments what that day should look like in a perfect world, then it's a case of, oh, look, between this time and this time, can you actually run this section so I can then focus yep. on this component because I think this component might actually need me to be a bit more hands-on. And they've got, yeah. and it's it literally that Word document or spreadsheet where it's stepping out everything in a row. And I think the point you made too, like when you said you worked with Club Tari to help kind of frame up the initial one, I think w- absolutely working with someone who has already either pulled off an amazing event or works in the event space or is like, if you're using a venue, work really closely with the functions manager because they do this day in and day out. And I suppose that way, if, yeah. it, if it isn't perfect, at least that way it hasn't been your baby from the smallest conception of an idea so you feel completely to blame. It's like, okay, well, I follow this framework and this is a functions framework. Yeah. This is what the function manager told me to do. So maybe there's just little bits that I need to tweak at the edges because this, yeah. wasn't my, this wasn't all like my idea from where to go, you know. It was like, okay, well, maybe there's just bits that didn't quite work for us, but it's not like the whole thing collapses in a heap and you feel like you're solely to blame for it. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's um, it's nice to have have that team so you can share the, the wins and some of the not-so-winning parts of it mm. um, because it's draining and if you're really passionate about what you do, it's exhausting. Um, And I think, yeah, I think there's no I in team. And, you know, I think being a part of a little community is a nice place to be. Yeah. And I think if we can, and I don't imagine it, like I don't imagine me business owners, well, they might like it's letting go of that ego, I suppose, component of needing to do all the things and run the whole thing and it be completely yours if it can be an us yeah. event rather than a my event surely that's got to mean more success with less legwork yep exactly yep everyone wins wow well thank you so much for letting me pick your brain around i've wanted to do this for ages thank because you. like i said after working <laughs> with you for six years and having an absolute blast at these international women's day events every year i'm like i've got to pick Rhiannon's brain she does such a good job of these things and it's <laughs> like you said it's just there seems to be this fantastic formula where i swear every year i feel like i walk away getting out of it more than what i've put into it like sometimes oh. like i see like the table dressings and i see like all the prizes and every and all these amazing speakers and i sit there and i'm like i I really probably I feel like I should have paid for a ticket like I'm pretty sure I didn't do enough to be sitting here doing this all this you know so that's off to you like you said it's that experience where they feel appreciated I'll be signing up for it as for as many years as you'll have me involved basically wonderful thank you that's it you've got it in writing now I can't get out of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's recorded it'll be it'll be in the internet forever that's it this will be used again for a future date um no honestly I, I love it and it is um it is really nice to feel like you do you get this amazing experience and you do feel like you're contributing to something that's like bigger than yourself you know so if more business yeah, owners yeah. can create and I think especially after COVID I think we're all hanging for just a good get together that's got a good purpose and so I think yeah. now is a really interesting time for a lot of business owners to bring experiences into their wheelhouse because we've been deprived of this in-person interaction for so long. 
Like now's yeah. the time to offer it back to the world because I think we're all officially, we say this being on Zoom, I think we're all officially Zoomed out. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, I think, um, and even last week, at you know, those events, I think the, I just think the vibe, it was just so lovely for everyone to be together mm-hmm. um, that that probably added a whole other layer to the day that we've never experienced before. So, um Especially yeah. where we're at with restrictions, I think it was nice for people to be together unrestrained. Like it almost felt like there was yes. this collective exhale where it's like, oh, I yes. can be here and I can relax and I can just enjoy these yep. people's company and I don't have anything yes. kind of hanging over me. It was, um, oh, it was fantastic timing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All righty, Matt. Well, oh, I'll let you get back to your incredibly busy day. But, um, Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for letting me pick your brain and then share it with the business yeah. community. <laughs> Thanks for having me. What a treat. I'll, um, yeah, I'll let you go. But, um, and guys, if any, right. hopefully, and again, this is the sad bit, that hopefully none of you will need to use Rhiannon's services at the, yeah. the, the, at the Tamworth house. But if you the do. The one thing we say, it's uh, lovely to see the back of families when they leave in the nicest possible way. And we hope we don't see them again. So the fewer I see, the better it is. That's that's true. Unfortunately, because that yeah. means I don't get to enjoy meeting you. But if you are in Tamworth and you do need a <laughs> fight, if you've got a little sick kitty and you just need some family time, look round and up at RMHC because you won't be disappointed. You'll be very well looked after. <laughs> Thanks, Meredith. Right, and have a really good day and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Taking Back Joy. Did this episode happen to spark an idea in your business brain? I'd love to hear how this topic helped you. So take a screenshot of you listening right now, post it to Instagram and tag me at meredithpage.me and tell me in the caption what your big takeaway was from this episode. Thanks guys. See you next time.